0: Dan, it's the first episode of the podcast. Are you excited? I'm thrilled. How are you, Kyle? I am doing excellent. How are you doing? Pretty great. Good. When you're great, I'm great. So what is the podcast? Well, the Startup Growth Podcast is a podcast about exactly what you think it would be about. Startup Growth. Together, Dan and I, as well as the rest of the team at Morris, we work closely with earlier stage startups, sometimes growth stage startups that are maybe around series B, but typically around series A, series B, and we help them build their inside sales teams. We've been doing this for a long time. We're very, very good at it. And what we decided to do, Dan and I, is do a little podcast where we share some of our insights and wisdom, but also bring on some people who have more insights and wisdom than we do. So some founders that have been successful, et cetera. Sometimes it'll be us two, sometimes we're gonna have a bunch of guests. It's gonna be great. So, first, for those of you who are listening who might not know us, we should probably
1: do some introductions. So, Dan, why don't we start with you? Cool, uh, so I'm Dan McDermott, uh, I'm CMO at Voris. Uh, my background is as a copywriter, and uh, I've worked with many different types of startups over the years, uh, ranging from food and drink businesses to fintech to a whole lot of other uh, verticals. And. Um, I guess over here, I sort of play a two-headed role where internally I'm in marketing and then when we work with clients, I help out with the copywriting side of stuff with messaging and all that kind of fun stuff. Awesome. And
0: my name is Kyle Van Voorhis, I'm the CEO of Voris here. And uh, my background is really around building inside sales teams. So I've worked as an employee at a couple of different company and helped build really successful inside sales orgs. And since then, and starting Voorhis, we've worked with, I don't know, dozens at this point you know, close to dozens, close to a plural dozens uh, of earlier stage companies that are looking to build that inside sales function. And together, we're gonna be talking about some of the things we've learned along the way and some of the things that we're reading and seeing that we feel is worth sharing with you. So if you're growing a company, you plan to one day, or you've grown a company, hopefully there will be some good insights for you, regardless of where you are in your journey. That's what I got. Great. Good, good. fantastic. What are we talking about today?
1: Uh, I think let's talk about hiring. We've been doing that a lot recently. So um, yep. why don't we uh, get into the ins and outs of stuff? I've got a couple of questions for you. OK. Um, maybe we can. Uh, you want to start off that way? Yeah, let's do that. What do we got? Cool. So um, one thing that I've seen us uh, have a, a talk about and disagree about uh, quite a bit, not just us two, but uh, the, the the rest of the team. Um, do you look for hunger or do you look for uh, a, and, uh, a sort of book smarts and sort of skill set on paper that would look really good? If you had to choose one or the other, yeah, I'm like all in on hunger. Uh, I, I don't like paper that much.
0: Like Leo, and well, probably what you're referring to is Leo, our uh, COO here. He like really takes a lot of he puts a lot of weight on the resume, and he has like a decade of of experience in HR. He worked at Hitachi and stuff, so I get it, right? Like if you're interviewing a thousand people or whatever, you're getting a thousand resumes every month. Maybe we got to take the resume a little bit more into account, but I don't like judging people by a piece of paper. So, yeah, I, I take hunger before all else. Uh, I have a couple of other criteria, but what about you?
1: So I, I thought it was a, I had an interesting conversation with somebody this morning who phrased it really well. and He said for a sales role, he'd look for hunger but for a uh, marketing role, I'm hiring a marketing intern right now. And he said for a marketing role, he'd look for uh, book smarts and a paper resume essentially. Mm. Don't know if I totally agree with that, but it was an interesting way to, to split um, basically by role. You'd be looking for certain criteria and then rank them differently. So I thought that was an interesting way to, to present the idea. What do you think about that? Yeah, that actually is kind of interesting. I've never thought
0: about that before. And my mind immediately goes to like professors. Like are professors mm-hmm. super hungry?
1: I don't know. I don't know if they are, but maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, it also depends on, on so many other factors like culture, like, you know, totally. who are they going to actually work day to day with? Yeah. Um, I think that segues nicely into another thing that I've, I've been wondering about is I'm split on this. I've actually changed my opinion recently. Okay. Remote work versus in-office stuff.
0: Yeah. I, um, I'm an in-office guy and look i like remote remote work is here to stay that's just the reality and a lot of people actually ask me about remote teams for sales teams versus in person teams and i think the answer is almost always you should have an in person team if you can but unfortunately it's not the world we live in so we have to operate in our current reality which means there's a lot of remote work but as a general you know rule i prefer in person uh, for a couple of reasons, one is you get to control the environment a lot more. And when you have people working out of their house, you can't really control their environment. They might be like working in their bedroom, you know, like every day you're working in your bedroom or at the kitchen table. And it is cool because they can kind of switch their environment. Like, oh, I work on the couch. I work on the kitchen table. I work in my bedroom. But you're like kind of in this weird confined space that also you just live your life in. And I kind of like the separation between work and uh, uh, work and home. Uh, anyway, so I definitely lean towards in person. What about you?
1: So I think again, this comes back to one of these like things that you can probably split up if you want to like nitpick. And I think that the people who do treat work from home places, you know, that they have a at-home office and they treat it like an office, uh, which is, I think, the minority of people who do that. Uh, But I'm somebody who who spent the last probably 10 years doing a, um, you know, as a soloist, as as a consultant. So I was a work from home guy. And I think that. It's an interesting thing. It also depends on where you're at, who you're hiring, f- uh, what sort of roles you're hiring for, what stage the company's at. This whole thing about culture building, which we're kind of in the middle of right now, I think being in person is super important. Um, so if you're hiring people early on, are department heads or maybe kind of early stage team, uh, I think being in person is almost essential. Uh, mm-hmm. But then as you go along, you can find some really some really great specialists out there who do work from home. But you got to kind of... I don't know, feel it out a little bit. Right. It's tough. Are we being
0: old school though? Like maybe, maybe we're just like the grumpy old folks that say everybody should be in an office.
1: I mean, I didn't think this way at all until until really? probably you know three months ago. It's mm-hmm. uh, so when I told you I wanted to move out here. Right. Um. So I joined. I joined you back in uh, in June. Okay. And then right. we did one of these like uh you know kind of group trips out together. That's right. And it was on that trip I kind of looked around. I was like, oh wait, this is. This is different than what i'm used to and mm. this is a chance for especially coming in to try to build out the marketing team i looked at right. it because i looked at a couple of the younger guys too i was like oh man this would be a fantastic opportunity but i got to get my hands on these people right so right. it's a, that's that's one of the big reasons that i've sort of flipped but yeah i think these are you know as with most things it sort right. of depends on the situation yeah i'm sure there's a company out there that's crushing it mm-hmm. on the virtual stuff
0: like personally i've never left a zoom meeting and been like wow magic just happened <laughs> right? <laughs> but I've left this room and been oh, like, yeah. whoa, magic just happened, right? Or I've gone on a walk with you and been like, magic just happened. And for some reason, I feel like it's hard or near impossible to replicate over Zoom meeting. And maybe we're wrong, right? Like if mm-hmm. if somebody listening has had a Zoom meeting and stepped away and been like, whoa, that was so special, we're probably wrong then. But I haven't experienced it. Most of the people I talk to have not. Like, I've had this conversation a bunch of times. So I think it's tough. But There's a company that either has figured it out or will figure it out, and that's probably a huge competitive advantage. The better you can be at remote work, the more um, competitive you're gonna be in the marketplace, right, because it's
1: so common now, but. So let me throw this at you then: What would you look for in a remote worker As if there was one quality that you could kind of search for that would make up for at least some of the in-office experience What would what would what would signal a high-quality candidate for you as a remote person and get you excited about them?
0: it might be the same as in person for me, but um, I think like being an optimist would probably be top of my list and I think have like hiring optimistic people in general is a good rule of thumb, right? You want people who are happy, but um, remote probably even more because I believe like if your outside of work life is going well your inside of work life is going to go well too, right? So they're really connected. Like we try people talk about like work life balance all the time. Look, I love it, but our work life and our home life are intertwined. Yeah. Yeah, we spend so much time at work. So how is it possible to truly just balance like it's like what is this a seesaw and you got work on one side and you got life on the other side? Like no, like we're on a swing together. <laughs> We're pumping our legs, trying to get more air. So, um, I saw you commit
1: to the analogy. It's like, all right,
0: here we go. When you have an analogy, you commit. Um, I was on a playground, visualizing my kids. And um, anyway, so, because they're so intertwined, I get really concerned if somebody's home life, like if they're more of a pessimistic person and they like yell at the news on their couch, like I think of my grandfather. You know, it, he's, he's Greek, for those of you who don't know. And in Greece, he yells in the native language of greek <laughs> at the tv as if he was in the room with the people having the debate i mean it's it's genuinely crazy stuff and he's screaming at the tv it's like so negative and i was like wow imagine if my papu my grandfather had <laughs> had a zoom meeting at 3 30 and for over lunch he's screaming at the television about you know greek politics and then has to go hop in on a zoom meeting like what's that you know yeah. How are you creating magic in that Zoom meeting? So um, maybe my criteria is someone who just doesn't watch the news. But um, <laughs> what, I, what I'm actually saying is, I think optimism is probably a big, big part of the equation.
1: I think that's a good observation. I think energy. When you, I mean, you can even get this on the phone with someone. I used right. to have a requirement before I uh, I took on clients. Uh, you know, in the copywriting uh, world, I would have to see you on a Zoom call or get you on the phone to have a phone call because you can read a lot just by somebody's energy level. You know, in terms of if, if it's like a hello, you know, and one, yeah. one of these kinds, it's probably not going to go great. It's almost like a red flag and even right. more so on, on video calls. So that's a, it's a big thing. Uh, if you've ever uh, seen Kyle's YouTube videos, uh, you'll definitely see him light up on, on, uh, Yeah, I, love yeah. This stuff. I don't think I've ever seen anybody get on as many calls in a day and still be as high energy at the end of the day. So that's, a, yeah. that's a, that's something you do really well, but it's also something I think we should look for in people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the person I spoke to this morning as well um it was good it, it, he was he was sitting down I was standing up but right. it, it, he was still super energetic super happy to be there early in the morning yeah. which is yeah. uh yeah not easy to replicate all this right well okay I have something
0: I okay. just got an idea <clears throat> this is good and is it a joke it's probably half a joke <laughs> but I but I do think this is there's something here so there's a lot of zoom meetings when you're working remote. And you want to understand how somebody does when they have a lot of Zoom meetings. You know, like you just mentioned about me. I can have back-to-back Zoom meetings. I do, regularly, back-to-back Zoom meetings all day. Tuesday this week, my first one started at 7.30, my last one ended at 4.30, and I had a 30-minute break. And I'm just as fired up for my last Zoom meeting (laughs) as I was the first one, okay? And uh, it's something you kind of train into yourself. So, here's my idea. For interviewing the candidate, let's do all the interviews on one day so i want in the morning i want you to interview with you know james and then sarah back to back do 30 minute interviews then 30 minute break you get an hour-long video with I'm like trying to invent names with Leonardo. (laughs) It's like (laughs) He always dressed in Shakespearean garb. And then you have another 30 minute break and then you interview with two other people. And so my idea is like we just hit them with a whole bunch of interviews. And then at the last interview is a panel interview. It's the most important one. A couple of executives are on there and we see how do you show up? Are you tired? Are you energized?
1: Now maybe it's not fair to the
0: candidate, <laughs> you know. Maybe it's not fair to the candidate, but um, maybe it is. That's I, there's something there, I think.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, as soon as you said Leonardo, I started picturing Ninja Turtles. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think there there is something to that. I think having a structured way to do it, I kind of increase it. My, my dad was HR for for a long time, uh, and. I think he he's somebody who has a lot of thoughts on this if you ever dig in with him on it. And um, I think maybe I should have a conversation with him about, about how he would do this kind of thing. Maybe bring him in for a little a special consult. That'd um, be great. With us. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I mean,
0: we we have to get good at the remote environment. We just have Definitely. to, right? So we have no choice. The question is, how can you... I guess there's two real things. One, how can you make sure you bring on people who will thrive in that environment? Everybody wants the environment, right? Everybody wants to work from home. But how do you get people who will thrive from working at home? It's two totally different people, I mm-hmm. think. And then the second thing is, how do you create magic over a video call? A lot of companies trying to tackle this with like virtual whiteboarding and stuff like that. Um, it's not there yet, in my opinion. But if we can figure out those two things, you're gonna. I think the organization would be really successful.
1: So I think there's. I'm learning something really interesting with our team out in the Philippines. So we do have a remote team um, who work in the Philippines who are absolutely amazing. And one thing I've, I've learned is that we can do things to create a a better and better uh, environment for those remote you know, Zoom calls. Like, for example, a daily sync. Those daily syncs go a long way to sort of, instead of, uh, almost like the more separation there is, the more pressure can build up on someone to sort of communicate where they're at at their projects, where they need right. help, where they... The more um, we communicate the, the, with these daily calls, and you know, and obviously all the time on Slack, the the more everybody seems to be sort of uh, how do you say it? Like I guess relaxed a little bit, right? Uh, in a good way, and yeah. and doing their, their work with uh, with no pressure. And um, and this tends to be, and I mean that in a really positive way. So I'm probably using the wrong words, but um, what's interesting is I don't know how to find that. So mm. looking for signals like that energy thing like it's it's really a soft factor but finding that is a really interesting thing so um this maybe the segue is nicely let me let me throw this at you um i was talking with a few people over the last couple of weeks about the idea of big dominoes i've mentioned this to you i think uh, mm-hmm. um where what is one thing like you know often we will list like five criteria that we're looking for or something right, like something right. that we you know a whole bunch of stuff that, that we're trying to uh, boxes we're trying to tick off often there's one thing that will just tick off everything Right. So, for example, maybe that energy thing could be, does this person have a YouTube channel? Can mm. we can we go look at what they're like on video consistently? Do they have a podcast? Do they sound like, you know, what, what sort of topics do they, do they tackle? Um, so, I mean, what do you think of that? Would that answer some of these questions? You know, it kind of does, and it makes me think about uh, building your personal brand, I think, is a really big part of this.
0: Because as, as an employer, I can go and I can look... What posts have you made? How do you interact on other people's posts? Have you done any videos? What do you sound like on those videos? I like people who put themselves out there in general. I think it's a good a good thing.
1: I mean, I I cannot tell you how much I, I agree with this and I support this. I uh, I talk all the time with alumni from uh, like well, college kids from my from my university who kind of reach out to our network, and I think because my background looks a little crazy, they they reach out to me. and They're like, oh, how'd how'd you get into this stuff? Um, and. I used to give them all this kind of big advice and, you know, get into all these details with long answers. And ultimately, it really comes down to one thing I've been saying over and over recently. is like, you've got to publish something. You've got to get something out there. Because in this day and age, you are now competing with creators Mm -hmm. and the creators are going to beat you almost every time if you're somebody who doesn't have anything out there right right so having a website having a blog having a youtube channel having even a tiktok it doesn't really matter what it is but having one channel where you've done something right that will demonstrate your energy that will demonstrate your thinking that will demonstrate the quality of work that'll even demonstrate some of your tech abilities Mm. i think that that's a that's something that maybe is uh maybe we don't have the luxury of really looking for that uh but maybe it's something we keep an eye out for in the future.
0: Well, and maybe we do have the luxury. So like, if we hire a designer, what do we do? We look at their portfolio, Mm -hmm. right? And we make a a decision whether we think their work is good or not good. If we hire a writer, what do we do? We read some of their writing, Mm -hmm. same exact thing. In sales, we don't do that. Mm -hmm. In marketing, we don't really do that. What's the portfolio, right? And maybe the portfolio yeah, it's the stuff that you have like on your LinkedIn or the things that you've posted or done, or can kind I of get a little glimpse into your real personality? Because one of the challenging things about interviewing, you're kind of seeing people in their like dolled up perfect state. Yep. And what we do here is we bring them out and you, you're like, you got to spend a day with us, which is <laughs> rough. Brutal. <laughs> it is rough. Uh, we, we, when you came out, we went on a hike Remember our hike? I mean, it was a walk in the woods. It was it was very gentle. Okay, it was a gentle hike, but it definitely my sweat glands opened up. And that's true. If you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that. Yeah, okay. I think yeah.
0: everybody gives that quote uh, to Marilyn Monroe. I'm like a hundred percent positive she did not say that once in her life. That particular quote. That particular quote. I think uh, they just not gave it that. to her. Yeah, and Thought here's that was the thing. For maybe special. you. <laughs> Yeah, I invented that quote. Maybe you want to get so famous that people just give you quotes. <laughs> that, like that'd be sweet. You know, Possibly. Like, he said so many wise things. Here's a list. And it'd be really cool if you're old enough to see it. Like you're old enough. You were alive enough to see it and you could go. I said none of those things. Uh, anyway, uh, back to my point. So we bring up everybody here like for a full day and you have to interact with us. And we have like a, you know, we have an interesting culture for sure. Like we laugh a lot. Um, we collaborate which I think is pretty standard if you're in an office, you're going to collaborate. But um, we have, I would say like a part of our culture is a culture of open debate, right? A lot of arguing uh, with good intention and Mm -hmm. everyone's heart's in the right place. And we can joke around freely. Like I I feel like we have a very open and um, a very strong culture in that regard. So when I bring someone in and they're going to spend a full day with us, They're going to not only get a taste of the culture, which I think will help them make a decision, but also we get to see how they would fit in for real. And when you came out, what did we do? We um, went on a walk in the woods. We went to we went to a museum, Mm -hmm. which is like kind of funny to think about it now. Um, We ate food
1: and that was really it. And we just had like a whole day of talking to each other. Yeah. And I I think that's that's the kind of stuff that. It's it's really funny, especially maybe early on. I mean, if you're at this stage, and I'm sure this applies to to a lot of the people who are out there who we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're hiring for those early roles, who will shape the organization moving forward, right. a lot of it is, comes down to soft factors. So, you know, how yeah. do you feel about this person? Do you do right. you do you just straight off the bat do you like them? Yeah. You don't have to with everybody you work with, obviously. But um, but if you can, if you can choose to do that, and you can choose to to find people who collaborate well together again, just going back to the example of like having uh, looking at somebody's complete work. I really like that for sales and marketing because it shows somebody's thought process from A to b. It's a complete right. idea right with resumes, I'm not a big fan of resumes honestly but um if you if you look at even a portfolio, the person is often claiming, a whole thing when really they did part of it or they kind of worked on a project. It's like, it's it's more like, I just, I don't really care what, you know, what level you hit. Right. I'm more interested in seeing the whole complete thing that you, you thought through, you completed, you executed, and then maybe you tracked so that you're, you're thinking through it. Um, and I think that, the, whenever I see people like that, I get really excited because I'm like, oh, I want to follow this guy's uh, business story, or I just, you know, I, I'd love to work with that person. Right, right. But um, yeah, I think very few people actually put the thought and effort into it, and I think that's going to be changing big time moving forward. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things you pointed out there was um, uh, that you like the person that you're hiring, and one thing I want to add to that is that you like, or excuse me, I shouldn't say that you like all of them, but you don't dislike a part of them because what happens is, especially early, early on in a, uh, in a relationship or early on in a company, if there's a big part of someone's personality that you do not like very much, it ends up wearing you down For you know, constantly. It's this um, kind of this weight, and every single time you see it, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So I think having this long form interaction with somebody, is super important. Another thing that we're doing, which I think everyone should do, we're hiring a sales coach here and part of our process is they're actually going to do a coaching session with some of our clients, some of the salespeople at our clients. That's pretty cool, I think. We're going to get to see somebody in action teaching and that's going to give us a lot of insight on how they would do when they're really teaching. and. There's always coachable moments where I think it's great. So we're going to be able to see strengths Mm -hmm. and weaknesses and whatnot. Uh, But ultimately, like how well received is it? Now, that makes a lot of sense for us because this person's going to be interacting with those people. So yeah, pretty important. But we do like mock sales calls Mm -hmm. when uh, we're interviewing sales talent. So if we're going to hire an AE, we're going to do a mock sales call and we're going to see how that call goes. What I do is I have them sell something they already know. Now, some sales leaders, they suggest having them try to sell your product. It's a tough one for me because I want to see them in their most comfortable environment selling, not in an uncomfortable environment because then I feel yeah. like I'm testing two different things and I don't know, the data's muddy.
1: That's a great point. I think uh, finding somebody at their best when where they're comfortable with, it. I mean, you see this back with, I'm, I'm taking this back to the, the writing world. Um, if if I go out and I try to hire a bunch of writers and I ask them to all write the same article about. You know six ways to write a headline right it's gonna be the same stuff that's been regurgitated a million times on the internet and it's just it's whereas if I come back to somebody and I say hey um, write, write me your, the story of your best headline and mm-hmm. how you know what was the best headline you've ever written and show me stats and you know and go through the whole thing then it becomes a personal story and right. it allows the person to arm themselves with their best stuff come to the table and deliver Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like you said, you're handicapping almost the person by saying, right. like, okay, sell, sell our product first. And that's on us to train them. And it's not really on them to, to be in perfect state. Right, um, right. So well, it yeah. goes to that question
0: that I think is a good interview question is, like, explain to me a moment of greatness. Right, and you can say that however you want, but the idea is give me an example or tell me a story about a time you did something that you're truly proud of, mm-hmm. something that where you if you feel that was really great. Uh, because if somebody has done something great, they can do it again. Because yep. they kind of have this threshold, right? If you've never done anything great, it's brutal, right? And even when you go to you know the college kids, like if you're hiring SDRs, you're going to hire some college kids. What they say is their greatest moment to you might feel kind of small, right? Like oh, I signed up. 40 people to my fraternity, you know, Ugh, great. But that actually is great, you know? Like, totally. you did something great, you achieved something that was out of what you thought was possible. Because I think the biggest in, like the biggest reason why someone's successful versus not successful, it really comes down to mindset. Like, do they truly believe that they're capable of doing something better than they've ever done before? And do they have examples in their past of them achieving something they didn't actually think they could do? So if you can manage to only hire people like that, and then you can be the leader, that enables people to kind of live in that state.
1: I think you're going to be very successful. Yeah, it's funny. As as you you said that, I thought of a couple of characters. We um, I mean, we met somebody recently who's a you know a younger dude, um, and the amount of projects that he's executed on. You know, I'm yeah, about I know right exactly right. who you're talking about. I mean, it's it's incredible. And it's it's that kind of energy. Like a lot of people will read books. So reading right. the book, that's a great first step. And yeah, I think absolutely. that you know, arming yourself with the knowledge, that's wonderful. But knowing about something does not necessarily mean you know how to do something. Exactly. Right. So finding somebody that goes to the next level and executes and does it, I get really excited about that kind of person because I know that there's, there's not that blocker in their brain that I'm, Oh, I'm too afraid to go and do it because right. people who are ready to fail, ready to just go in there with, you know, just guns blazing. And, uh, that kind of energy. Yeah. When I'm, I'm, I'm kind of grinning while I'm thinking of, of, of that kid. Cause I, he was a, he was a comic kid. He's not a kid, but he, he's, he's a little younger than, than us. And, uh, just the energy with which he'll just go at something and be like, you know, he'll he's so many of these stories where right. as we're talking he'll be like, oh yeah, you know, I, I actually built that kind of thing, like, bop, 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 and he's got like three or four of these, right? You know, it's it, it's a that kind of stuff to me is magic, yeah, and that kind of stuff is underrated, totally, totally, It's, it's totally underrated.
0: And you know why you call them a kid? Because that's youthful energy.
1: That is true. The that's willingness
0: to actually. Yeah. Do something and try something so i'll tell a quick story about my daughter because i think it's a really cool illustration of this uh we were at a park my daughter's uh my daughter's four for those of you don't know which most of you don't um my daughter's four we go to a park this is big park there's a lot of kids at this park And my daughter's incredibly social. So she's going out there. She's like talking to people. She has like six friends immediately. And she's running around having a good time. Her friends are always typically a little older than her. Uh, She's very advanced verbally. So she ends up like whoever can talk the best is (laughs) usually who she ends up hanging out with. So she has these older friends. And they're going and they're going down the little pole. You know, the fireman's Mm -hmm. pole that they have at these parks. And my daughter goes up there and she is not comfortable sliding down the pole right she's just standing there like very very concerned about this pole so she stops she doesn't want to do it and I'm watching from afar as a wise father you know <laughs> you know that scene in Lion King where Mufasa's in the clouds and he says you are more than what you have become to Simba that's who I strive to be okay so my daughter not on... thinking about that <laughs> yeah yeah uh, my daughter is <laughs> in front of the the fireman pole mm-hmm. she's too scared to go down she gives up the kids are on the ground like, come on, you can do it. Oh, it's going to be so great. And she gives up and kind of let her do her thing. She's allowed to give up. Um, but her friends keep doing it. And there's a little bit of a peer pressure component here, which mm-hmm. I really like, you know. And she decides to give it a shot. She grabs onto the pole and she's very nervous. You see it in her eyes, she's like, I don't know. And then she kind of like puts her legs and she's just stuck on this pole. So she's like hanging on to the pole. Jesus. Okay. (laughs) She's just here hanging onto the pole. Like, oh, you know, like this is, this is terrifying. And she goes, and she's like going down the pole, you know, and uh, her little hands are like getting burned, I'm sure. And she ends up going down the pole and these kids erupt in praise. It's like, yeah, and they're like dancing, and they're freaking out, and my daughter is like overwhelmed with stimuli, and she goes and she like does the pole again, and then there's the big pole. See, the pole she slid down first, that was like a 10-foot drop. The next pole is 20 feet. She gets to that pole, and the same emotions came up, but she didn't give up. She actually did it, you know why? You know why I think at least. I'm no psychologist. All right. Because she had encountered those emotions before. Mm-hmm. And last time she pushed through, she was actually rewarded for doing it. And she did it. Everyone got excited. Now she slides on poles all the time. So why do I tell that story? Because when you're evaluating candidates, I want examples of times where you were confronted with an obstacle. Yeah. And you had those emotions of being afraid to push forward. And you did it anyway. And if I can... Find people who have always had that experience and then put them in situations where they're a little uncomfortable because the obstacle is pretty big, mm-hmm. then we're going to achieve far greater results than we would if I didn't have those types of people. Because every single time you feel that experience, it's because you're going further than you were the last time you felt it. And you just keep pushing, you keep pushing, you keep pushing, you get stronger, you stronger and stronger. This is how growth happens. I want people who are comfortable being uncomfortable because I think more growth is going to happen.
1: That's a great way to put it. It's a great story, too. Um, the, I think that maybe even to loop back to that initial question that I asked, whether it's, you know, hunger versus, uh, versus I, I guess, book smarts or a strong resume. Right. Um, maybe the answer is neither one. And it's mm-hmm. really just evidence of having tried stuff before in, you know, related to your field. So has this person, especially for, I think, for not necessarily leadership, but somebody who is going to be uh, essential in, you know, in the team moving forward, you want to find people who are, who have demonstrated attempts at something similar to what you're going to be doing. They right. don't even have to be successful, but they have to have been well thought out. They have to have been attempted in public with real people and then uh, see from there. I mean, right. I think that's why so many entrepreneurs fail early on and then end up making it because they learn like the the yeah. mini pole then the bigger pole then the bigger pole. right. Um, right. whereas if you just, you know, throw somebody to, to at the 20 foot pole whether they're hungry or not, you know, uh, isn't necessarily going to demonstrate success. Right. Um, but yeah, so I think that's a really interesting uh, it's a really interesting way to I kind of had a little reframe right now.
0: Yeah. I think there could be something there. I mean, I can tell you that's my dad's biggest criteria. So when Mm -hmm. my dad, my dad was a small business owner. He's retired now. And um, I mean, he's interviewed and hired a ton of people, you know, a ton of people. And um, he said, he's always told me, he's like, the biggest thing I look for is a past experience being successful at something they've tried at. And he doesn't care what it is, but what's your relationship with failure? And what's your relationship with success? And what's your relationship with trying something? And, you know, some people, they do all of this prep. They try to become the best of something before they ever take the first step. It, actually, this is something uh, I've learned from you. Um, <clears throat> when you're working with copywriters, and you, you can jump in and tell the story for real, I'll just give the high, high level. Uh, when you're working with people who wanted to be copywriters, they're freelancers and they're like, oh, I want to be a copywriter. And they're trying to learn the skills of copywriting. One of the pieces of advice you give is, Okay, go find someone to pay you $100. Mm-hmm. What happens when you give that advice, Dan?
1: Tell the story. So it's a, uh, I'm, uh, I'm definitely stealing this from, uh, from Neville Medora. Uh, he, and that's, that's sort of his tactic first, right. is, is that 100 buck thing. Um, you will very quickly separate the people who are going to be successful versus the people who are never going to go anywhere. And, you know, no shame. Some people are just not built to kind of go out and, and essentially sell themselves and, and, you know, eventually run a business. Right it's such an important part that people don't don't realize and uh, a lot of these people will spend a ton of time money and effort on learning the skills mm-hmm. and in truth they forget to learn the business skill right and i think that 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 little bit that blocker of whether you're able to turn around to a network of your friends and family and say hey guys i'm doing this thing now um know anybody in this space uh, that's willing to do xyz wants their their website set up whatever um here it's a hundred dollars uh right so many people are just not willing to even post that simple little thing on social media um it's it's incredible so i think we've I, i even i remember real quick just uh just go into this for a sec i remember somebody who was um who was delivering pizzas at that point and he he just badly wanted to become a copywriter and uh and i remember sitting down with him having all these calls and literally saying dude i will sit down with you on a daily basis if you reach out to three people just reach out to three people every day and just take a screenshot of the emails and show me that you've, you've emailed or sent messages on LinkedIn to three people. And we even cut it down to one, right? So I said, okay, we'll do it with one person. And, uh, and, and then we're going to have this daily accountability. Right. I'm going to see you take off and grow. Guess how many days he did.
0: I'm going to guess zero based on zero. The <laughs> yeah,
1: zero. it's crazy. And I, and I saw that over and over and over again. It is just a simple marker. And can you get over it? Yes, you can. But, the overwhelming majority of people say they want to do something and then when it comes to actually, so I think why public speaking is the number one fear over like death, mm, right? Mm. Um, it's because they just are terrified of, of asking for money maybe. Right. And putting it out there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, and you know, I actually think the other part of this too is they're afraid that what they deliver isn't going to meet the expectations yes. of the person that they sold to. And that's a really tough place to be. Like, like fear is always, I think, the limiting factor, right? Like Everybody who holds, gets in their own way, it's because of some kind of fear, they're afraid of something. And a lot of people end up spending a lot of time trying to get good enough at something so when they get their first client that they can actually deliver a good product. But you don't really figure out what a good product looks like until you start delivering product, period. And guess what? You can spend a lot more time on your first product in exchange for a hundred dollars than you would after having 10 years of experience right absolutely to fix whatever the problem is and it's a hundred bucks right we're not talking about you know we're not bankrupting anybody here so i like that willingness to dive in and when i see people like that i get super excited this is why i am a huge advocate of hiring people with like different backgrounds if somebody works at starbucks and they're super high energy I like those types of people, sometimes more than somebody who went to college. For, for example, if I interview another poli-sci major, I am, yeah, you, I am going to jump off the roof. I, I agree. It's ridiculous. Like, Can we major in anything else? Something fun? I mean, so look, let, let, me, let me jump in for, for a second on this. But like, real quick, like, before you jump in, even dance. Like, I would rather hire someone who majored in theater than somebody who majored in political science. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Appreciate
1: it. I gotta look for some dancers. <laughs> so, anyway, what were you gonna say? I mean, on that note, um, <laughs> I'm laughing because this is like the third time today that uh, that, that something like this has happened. Uh, so, I'm <laughs> Dan, it's it's not even 11 a.m. I've been worn down. Um, <laughs> so, so I actually agree with you in the sense that. Well, it's, okay, you really want to take a step back. I think it's insane for us to ask an 18-year-old kid to decide what they want mm, to be for sure. the rest of their lives. Yeah, I yeah, agree. So, um, so, yeah, that's why poli-sci ends up being the go-to sort of bucket that the generalists fall into. They have different interests. They want to do something. Okay, it's probably going to be poli-sci or econ or, you know, something. Right. Um, but the the important part of this is that you see people who have done something bananas while doing the degree, sure, the, the degree is almost not the important part of this. Right. What did you do while you were in college? 100%. While you had the resources, yeah, yeah. while you had you know all these you know you, you didn't have to have a job. You were, you were you know essentially you had the time and space to come up with something to do. What did you do? Right. And a lot of people didn't really do anything. Right. Um, it, to be totally honest, I did one great paper in college where I, I was it was field research. It was in Jerusalem. It was on a very like dicey political subject, but it was a great paper. And it opened every door for me that I needed down the road, um, and that's an example of, of like something that I was you know okay a little bit bananas about go in do the stuff publish something put it out there, I want to see people and I don't care what it is like I mean I, a friend of mine remember I, I was I mentioned the guy who was at the Culinary Institute of America yeah 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 he's another poli-sci guy but his real thing was food. I mean, I think I was telling mm. the story about ordering a subway sandwich with him, right. which was just an insane experience because um, I went in, you know, just give me whatever, you know, fully loaded. <laughs> this guy could right, right. give me the sub, and this guy would come in and just be like, "No, no, no, this is the way you got to do it." And he's so bananas about making his sandwich that when he ended up going off and, and pursuing this idea of becoming a chef, he was excellent at it. He was so good at right, that pursuit right. when he could just have the freedom to go do it.
0: Yeah. yeah so yeah, I yeah.
1: mean, having the, those things where people are passionate about something and then go act on it in some way. It doesn't have to be even in a professional way. Right, Show right. me something that you've done. Yeah, you know? yeah,
0: so I wanna actually dive a little bit deeper into that because there is a big conversation. I think I saw something on LinkedIn about this even this week, about um, following your passion. Oh, nice. And what you're doing. And like people saying like, look, you need to find something that you're passionate about and. People are like, I'm not passionate about customer success, you know, and other people are like, no, 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 no. You can separate the two. You can have your passion and it doesn't have to be tied to how you earn money. This is a tough one. And I I will share before I ask your thoughts, uh, I will share that I am, this is a very raw thought. I have not been, I've not like fully thought this out, but I'm curious what you think on that topic.
1: So I think it's very dangerous. For people to say you have to find your passion and then go pursue it, mm. because most of us don't have that luxury. Most of us, as especially as kids, I mean, I had a great childhood. I, I was, right. I was a, a pretty sheltered kid growing up. Everything was was fantastic. I was exposed to a lot of things internationally because that's how I grew up. But this idea of having a passion, I, right. I remember being in college and sort of freaking out about you know what do I do and um, and just the path was sort of set in front of me of oh I should be a lawyer because I can write stuff. Right. That doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Um And have a passion I'm passionate about a bunch of stuff. I'm passionate about soccer. I'm passionate right. about like Does that mean I have to go become a soccer player or like a commentator or something? Right, I, right th- This doesn't jive and then when I started working on specific jobs I realized I could very quickly build up a passion for that thing that I was working right on. right So I think that's the better way to frame it however, I also want to say like the, the idea that you're we are also at a stage I think culturally in America where we have a great luxury in front of us, where you can change professions very easily, mm. and you know, I have I have done this many times over. My my route to it was always to find somebody doing something excellent in a field. Right. Go work for that person. The job doesn't even matter really. I knew that my job, my my role was going to be as a writer. But right. I never really considered myself like, oh, I am I am the writer that you need. These magic <laughs> fingers are going to you know just right. do it. But going into those roles and learning about how this psychopath would pursue their you know um, I mean that positively uh, would, would would pursue their their stuff right. and talked about their stuff um, I remember one of my this guy was a mentor to me um, he was crazy about beer he's absolutely crazy about beer but he was also a seven-time exit entrepreneur Jeez. who's built up a crazy business and I mean I learned so much from him Doing the drives around rural New Mexico, kind of like, you know, just, you know, talking about who, like, again, hiring conversations. and Right, right. So I think that the, that value, that when I think back so positively, uh, with a genuine degree of passion towards that space, towards food and drink, towards beer specifically, uh, towards him as a mentor, um, this, this doesn't come because I, has, has, I sat down first and then planned it out on paper. Right. It's because I said, hey, this looks good. Let's jump into it and then develop the passion once I'm in there. Right, right. That makes sense. I totally agree with you.
0: Um, <clears throat> I think the the passion piece is probably like um, it's probably more deep than people give it credit for. Like I'm passionate about playing Magic the Gathering, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, okay, why are you passionate about that thing? There's a deeper reason why you get passionate about things. <clears throat> so like for me, I'm incredibly passionate about stand-up comedy. You know, As you know, like I did stand-up comedy for five years. Yep. If there was one thing I was put on this planet to do, it was to do stand-up comedy, and there's no feeling I get that's the same as when I stand on stage. Now, I had a choice to make at one point in my life where I could say, hey, I'm willing to be a struggling comedian, low-income earner, for 10 years, and hopefully I make it as a comedian. Or I can get in the workforce, become a contributing member of society and work on increase my income that way that's what i chose to do and the journey at first was like hey i just don't want to be broke right that's where it all started i don't want to be a loser i dropped out of college i was very concerned about being a loser so in the ser role i like worked like a maniac got promoted to an ae it was about making money and then i wanted to run teams like and i kind of go through this journey i'm incredibly passionate about early stage growth. I love it. I love working with founders. I love helping them solve growth challenges. I like being in those conversations. And I love contributing and helping people achieve greater success than even they thought was possible. That's something that gets me super excited. Why does that get me excited? I really love growth of people, you know, Mm -hmm. outside of just revenue growth, great, cool. But I love seeing people who are at point A and then they get to point B and they're like, Look at where we're at like that excitement really 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 drives me and the same sort of thing exists in comedy right i like standing on the stage and making people feel incredibly good it's a similar it's a similar thing right the action i'm taking is very different i can stand on stage and make a bunch of people laugh they're gonna feel good i can help someone with their business they achieve a level of success they feel good the outcomes it's effectively the same i'm making people feel good that drives me that's something i'm passionate about i can apply my passion that i had with stand-up comedy and still have i can apply it to business i can Mm -hmm. apply it to other people's business and i can achieve the same result so i think i fall in the same camp as you where your passion doesn't need to be closing deals but you have to have a passion that's driving the execution absolutely of closing those deals
1: absolutely I think there's a I mean essentially what you were almost talking there was something like you know human connection Mm -hmm. Uh, did I ever tell you about mr. Paul
0: no but I'm very excited to hear about that okay
1: so this guy was my uh, my guidance counselor slash philosophy teacher in high school and his last name was Paul no, no, his last name was uh, was Johnson, Paul Johnson. Oh, oh, okay. But uh, back in the Middle East, like you call it, it would be like, it would be like a Mr. Kyle, you know. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, I like how that sounds. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Van Voorhis. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, Mr. Paul was a uh, uh, he he went to Oxford, you know, very educated guy. Um, and then after university um, in, the, he was, you know, in the 60s, when he was teaching us, um, he became a bus driver. He became a, a nurse at a mental hospital. Um, he was a judo, uh, sorry, Jiu-Jitsu uh, instructor for a while and a black belt and uh, a New Zealand champion, um, and then a few, years, and then our philosophy teacher, and then later on, uh, I was I was in in, uh, in London at one point and walking around and I see him walking around the street in London, um, years later, wearing a priest's collar. What? And, I w- and I, I look. I guess like this has got to be like a twin or something, right? Or you know, <laughs> doppelgangers out there. So yeah. I kind of like, kind of, uh, kind of mumble. It's like, oh, uh, Mr. Paul, and uh, and he turns around. He's like, oh, Danny, what's up? Uh, and and we start talking. I'm like, what, what, what is this? Like, what? And uh, and he he's like, oh yeah, I, I decided. Uh, you know, I, I got into theology again, so I, I decided I would go off and and uh, become a qualified reverend, or you know, however he go through it. Um, and that's what he was doing now. And his whole thing was. Basically, finding ways to examine the human experience, mm. and that was his passion. If you really look underlying, the thread that connected everything, but he couldn't start off his career with that thread. He just kind of let it, you know. And he was aggressive about changing stuff and just diving into things that that he thought would put him in, in roles to speak to people, right? And to and to connect with them in that sort of way. Um, I think it's an extreme example, but I've always thought that was a good a good. Version of somebody who was who was not scared of of the job, but would just go do anything, in order to fulfill that deeper sort of stuff, and Mm -hmm. just trust that it was there in any job that he could that he decided was the next best version of that.
0: Right. So I mean, I think
1: uh, just to tie it back to what we what we're doing, a couple of the um, well, uh, a lot of the the people who we've placed with clients, um, the SDRs, have been former uh, ballplayers, and there's a reason that. They do so well at the at the companies that they then go and join. Right, it's because they are built for sales. Essentially, they're they're good at you know basically high reps. Uh, you know, not not taking a, a no very personally, and you know taking right. a loss and you know or viewing it as practice as going to the gym almost that kind of thing. I think coachable. that's that's very coachable, very yeah. team oriented. So whether or not they go forward in professional sports or in sales, they're still fulfilling the same basic drive every day. They're showing up with a the team, they're performing, they're gauging themselves based on a performance metric. Right. In a way, that's a type of passion. In a way, that's a type of, 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 of skill set that you can drive towards, that you can progress in, that you can you can never necessarily master, but you can always progress kind of right. driving forward. I think there's a similar similarity in there. I think what we're talking about
0: now that we've gone on this topic for a bit is um, Simon Sinek's start with why. Oh, interesting! Right, like I feel like we just backed into that book, um, and uh, because the why is the driver, right? Why are you doing what you're doing? Yep. And I think the responsibility lies on the individual to understand the why behind what they're doing. And you have a choice; you can choose to to be oblivious to any sort of why and hate your job, or you can try to understand your why and find a way to tie what you're doing to your why to improve your results, which will improve your career over time. And I think not enough people talk about that piece. Where it's our responsibility as individuals to find the meaning behind what we're doing and tie meaning to what we're doing if we have any hopes of doing something better in the future.
1: I think that's such a great point. I think that so many people do not own what they're doing and do not find, I mean, as human beings, I think we have to find meaning in what we do. I agree. And if you don't enjoy that meaning and if you can't, you know, find some narrative that you wake up in the morning excited about. Right. Even if you go do something else or do something else, it's always going to be, that, yeah. that problem is going to be lingering in, in there because you're expecting it to be an external source versus an internal source.
0: Right. So totally.
1: it's a, yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about it. And I think that's probably a good point to end on. Did you have any other bullets that you brought? Let
0: me see. Dan's a big bullet, note taker guy. I'm a big bullet, note taker guy. Do you have a big bullet that I we can talk know, about? See that big whiteboard behind you? <laughs> I know. Uh, it's, it's so no, funny.
1: I think that's pretty much it. I think we covered a lot of subjects. I think we got oddly philosophical towards the end there. Yeah, so, I know. I, I, yeah. Feel,
0: I feel a sense of peace as we come to an end
1: here. Wonderful. And I think we should end uh, in a quick song, so shall we hold hands? <laughs> the amount of times Kyle has tried to make me do some sort of sing-along has been scary. Okay. It, I got rejected,
0: unfortunately. No, 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 no. You can't just burn right. my hands back. Uh, thanks so much for listening and watching. We appreciate your time and I look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of the Startup Growth Podcast.